Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a podcast where we will hear stories from nurses just like you that will validate, educate, and inspire you. I'm your host, Beth Quas. Today we will have Christina Dunbar, an FNP in adult oncology. She also spent some time as chief of her unit, but found that without the mentoring and support in this new role, she was having physical symptoms of burnout due to her toxic work. She turned to daily journaling and intentional living. From that difficult time, Christina chose to return to clinical practice part-time and started working on her passion project, leading others to more intentional living through her mindfulness practice. Christina is also the host of the Intentional 10 podcast. Please welcome Christina Dunbar. Hi, Christina. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today and for you to tell us your story. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your nursing journey? Yeah, um, let's see. Where do I start? It's it's funny to think back to the beginning. I, I went to Chapel Hill for nursing school. It's also where I met my husband. And after that, I spent one year in the pediatric ICU as a new grad. And that's what I really thought that I was going to do the rest of my life. It's funny to think that at, I don't know what, 22, 23, I actually kind of thought what I, I knew what I was going to do, but that is not what I still do. I spent a year there and it just didn't quite click with me. And we ended up having a really low census for a while. I guess this is when, after we had gone through, this is during H1N1, which is kind of funny to look back on now that we're in the COVID pandemic. Right. Um, so after we went through H1N1, we had a low census and there were not enough kids in the ICU for us to take care of, which is a, a blessing, right? But a difficult thing for your job. And so I got floated to another unit just by chance and got put in an oncology wing. And now that's what I have been doing ever since. I work in oncology and it just clicked for me and really was the right patient population for me to, you know, interact with and take care of and be part of. And over the years, I went back to school and became a nurse practitioner. And now I work um, in adult oncology as a nurse practitioner. But uh, as most people do in the beauty of, of nursing, I took a, a number of different jobs along the way, different, you know, inpatient, bone marrow transplant, outpatient infusion center, um, I've done a, a bunch of different things over time, and somewhere along the way, I landed in a position as a chief over um, over a team of hematology nurse practitioners, and did that for a while, and then that's where I sort of encountered my personal and professional burnout and pulled back, became a part-time nurse practitioner, left my leadership role. And really started focusing on myself and my family. And that's what sort of brought me here today. What a story. And I can relate to all of that burnout. And um, leadership's really hard. And we try to do our best. But I don't think um, we're supported or given the tools to do that job sometimes. And so I can totally relate to that. It's very true. I think that's for me... There's a number of ways in the healthcare profession where we eat our young and expect them to 
you know, dive in and know everything. And if they don't, then we, you know, are really hard on them clinically. But for me, the, I actually had a relatively supported clinical path. It was my administrative path is really where I was eaten alive (laughs) and just not given the right resources. There's a book called What Got You Here Won't Get You There. I think I said that right. Have you read that book? I haven't, but I'm okay. going to look for it now. Yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, it's it's sort of written to somewhat of a like a corporate culture, but the concept is is that you know, especially as you grow in your career and change roles over time and maybe climb a, a leadership uh, ladder, that what got you to a certain position doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to carry you through it. And just because you have maybe excellent bedside skills or you you know you have a great Uh, bedside mannerism and you're really connect with your patients or, you know, you're really keen on putting in IVs or picking up on certain patient deterioration and things like that. Just because you're good at being one thing doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're perfectly set up for the next role. And I think that we often forget that, especially in the, the nursing leadership track and we just sort of throw people in like, Hey, you're a great nurse. Now let's make you the nurse manager and here you go. And then, you know, leadership up above is just, you know, sort of terrorizing people for, you know, you got to meet these criteria and you got to do X, Y, and Z, but nobody ever gave them, you know, quite the right steps. That's And that's not the case for everybody in, in all roles, but it certainly, it was what I experienced that I was really just thrown in and it was like, hey, you've got all the right clinical experience, you know what you're doing at the bedside. Now we're just going to throw you in here and, and make sure you do a good job. And that was it. We have all these orientation plans for new grad nurses where you have to take X, Y, and Z courses and you have to do X amount of hours with a preceptor and all, you know, we don't do any of that for management. No, we don't. And I I tried to seek out every class that was offered by HR Mm -hmm. and I tried to do all of that and I would do it. And then that's where it would end. And I didn't have anybody to really show me long-term how to do that. And when you talk about books, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead, I found that a little too late. I was already at the point of burnout in my role and it was a great book, but I was already there. True. We really need that support at the very beginning of some of these new journeys or new steps, new roles, so that we can avoid burnout, whether it's a new position clinically, or maybe you're advancing in your, your, you know, field or wherever. We need that support and that mentorship from day one as nurses, especially because we have a, a career that's very built upon passion and caring. And this is different than, you know, my husband's an accountant. And so his job is very black and white. You know, it's right. like you show up uh, you know, he would, he's going to hear this and laugh at me. You crunch the numbers, you go home. Like, <laughs> it's just, it, like, it's different than I think what a lot of us see our careers as you're going in each day, take care of people to, you know, impact someone along a different, a difficult journey. We, we have a lot of deep down emotion about our jobs and a lot of our value. For me, the longest time 
before I became a mother, my whole identity was wrapped up in being a nurse. Yeah. So when you struggle with that for whatever reason, then it really, I mean, it doesn't just affect your happiness in your job. It, it, it's like a crisis in your identity. It's not the black and white part of management that burns us out. It's not the schedule and payroll and things like that. It's the managing and supporting our teams. When we hear it from administration on the business side, no, you have to do it this way. But our teams are saying, no, we really need this kind of support. And so we're kind of caught in the middle between two hammering ends. That's so true. That's that's a really great way of pointing it out that it's really the middle management of nursing that struggles the most. And these are often the the nurses or nurse practitioners or PAs, you know, like whatever field you're in. These are often the people who are either half-time clinical or just one step above the clinical role where they really are connected to the patient. Right. And the team who's doing the day day in, day out work. And there is a big divide between what happens at the upper level of, of management and what their daily lives and what their daily priorities are around budgeting and things like that and, and what we see in, in middle management. Um, and so there's a, a very difficult role being kind of smushed in the middle there. And I'll, I'll just flat out say I was not good at it. I was not good at being that role. I probably wasn't quite the right person for it in general. You know, there's some people who are just meant for certain things. And, and um, we, we see that a lot. I feel like, you know, people talk about, oh, I, I wasn't meant for pediatrics or, oh, I, like I'll say I was not meant for ortho. Ugh. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's certain things that you are and are not cut out for. I'm not sure if I was really the right person for it to begin with. But even if I had been, you, know, you still need help. If you take all the HR classes, like I did too, I went to all, I mean, our system had great HR classes, but then what do you do with that? You know, like there's a difference between sitting in a classroom and being on the floor and, you know, having all the demands of your team and the patients all around you. There's a, there's a disconnect there and you really need a, either a mentor or a boss who is going to you know, hold your hand at least through the initial stages and then be there sort of to con- consult and to strategize together when you hit your bumps along the road, which are going to happen naturally. I mean, this year of all years, you know, I, I know that leaders have really struggled to get teams through a pandemic, right? Yes. So this is absolutely, you know, a, a, an important time to have strong leaders taking care of our teams and um, we have to make sure that we we don't eat those people up and we don't just burn them out. You can't just say, hey, you were one of our top clinical supervisors and now you're going to be the manager. Like, you have to really walk somebody through those steps. You also have to teach them that, again, going back to that, what got you here won't get you there. Okay, now you need a new set of skills. Now you have to learn what it means to have difficult conversations, not with your patients, with your staff, with your team. Right. And what does it mean to have to implement difficult things? You know, you know that whatever new policy coming along is going to be hard for your team and you know they're going to hate it and you know it's going to suck. But maybe at the same time, you know it has to happen for the sake of the system or whatever. Um, And so how do you get people through that? Those are all kinds of little things, to your point, beyond just the payroll and the, and, you know, all the different like paperwork things that you have to learn. 
that I don't think we do enough um, supporting our ourselves in in the profession. So I, I hope that um, I again I'm not, I wasn't the right person for it, but I hope that as we go along and come out of the pandemic that we'll have seen the significance of strong leadership and hopefully we'll also learn to continue supporting those leaders along the way. We need more nurses in the C-suites. We need them up in the upper levels of management and not just nurses to be in those roles just because I think they also, uh, one of my guests said this, Even those nurses should be coming on the floor to deliver some type of patient Mm, care. mm -hmm. When you get so far away from it, I think that's how we lose the support of our teams actually doing that care. Absolutely. And if you look at, so I have a, you know, weird role being a, uh, a nurse practitioner because we're sort of like in between nursing and physicians. And uh, you're an advanced care provider, right? So on your CRNA? Uh, yeah, I'm a nurse anesthetist, yeah. Right. So being in that kind of in-between um, role gets kind of sticky at times. And so I see the physicians next to me in leadership uh, or saw when I, w- when I was in leadership. Um, the, physici- the physicians, for the most part, I mean, except for in the like the real upper levels of the C-suite, still had, even if it was one day a week, they still had a clinical day. And so, um, and I've seen nurse managers here and there who maybe used to be on, you know, a nurse on the floor and therefore are still able to jump in and do something if they needed to. But there's often not that as you go up in management that nurses are being pulled away to meet all the demands of the administrative job. They're being pulled away from patient care and they're losing sight of all of the things, not just from a like compassion standpoint, from like a logistics standpoint. I mean, I was told in my job when I first started it that like the demands of administration were so much that I needed to not be practicing clinically very much. And, and I was new in this role and new to the team and so learning the logistics of what was going on day in, day out, taking care of the patients was really hard for me to understand because I wasn't practicing very much. So you're right. We we really need to see more nursing leaders that still have some sort of, you know, hand, even if they just, you know, like PRN hours, you know, once uh, every couple of weeks or something on the floor to where they really feel truly feel what the pressures, you know, if, if there's some sort of budget or staffing crisis or equipment crisis, you know, we don't have enough X, Y, and Z to where they feel the pressures of not having what they need or whatever. And, and this pull of, you know, telling leaders that they, you know, because their administrative demands are so much that they should be practicing less. I mean, that does, then we got to fix the administrative situation. I love that you say feel because there there is a certain feel when you don't have what you need when you need it. And I think that is so spot on. That's what's missing in the decision makers. It looks like just a number or something on a piece of paper when it's really truly affecting patient care. And I know we all hear it's all about the patient. Well, it's all about the patient for those that are taking care of the patient. But for some administrators, it's all business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, because what they see day in, day out, what they get judged on and their job effectiveness is about numbers. And so, yeah, there's just a big disconnect. I mean, and I'll tell you, 
I also don't think that we do enough to support nurses to understand the business side of things either. Uh, again, for middle management, you know, a lot of these upper level C-suite nursing positions have, you know, maybe an MBA or MHA or things like that. Maybe they have some sort of doctorate where they've learned some side of business. But for middle management, often people have no business or budget training and then they get thrown into these kinds of decisions and conversations and there, there needs to be a little bit more for middle management without having to go back to school per se and get a whole another degree. We, we need better orientations and trainings and things like that to support these positions because our middle management is really, really vital to that connection between a, a hospital system sustaining themselves financially and deep down also providing quality patient care at the bottom, you know, the bottom of that chain. I'm not interested in numbers. But to be in a leadership role, you have to at least understand some of what's going on and, and budgeting and how it affects your teams. And we, you know, we, of course, always hear over and over and over, we're short staffed. But when you speak to administration, they're like, well, you have enough to cover this, correct? Right. But that doesn't cover an entire shift. That doesn't get people out to breaks. That doesn't allow people to run to the bathroom if they have to. Yeah. and, and- I, one of the things I especially learned, to your point, is that you have to be able to speak the speak, you know, talk the talk. Um, it, it's one thing to know that the, the staff feels short-staffed, you know, but it's another thing to be able to speak to administration in a way that um, that uh, explains that in a way that they understand and, and can you know, perceive and and do something about it or do something with it. And a lot of it's just understanding, you know, that lingo or the, I guess, key words and key numbers and key points to like to give to administration. And you, it is, there's, you can't just be like, hey, today's shift was crazy. Like, they're going to be like, okay, tell me more. <laughs> right. We need to start it in school too. Our nurses, nurse practitioners, CRNAs, nurse midwives, all of us need to understand the billing side and what things cost. I think we could have a cost savings if we knew, well, if I open two of those, I'm really increasing the cost oh, to our organization absolutely. and this patient. But we don't do that. Right, because we don't, we don't necessarily have access to that kind of information. Yeah, that's actually one thing that our hospital system had talked about a while ago and then it never really, or at least I haven't seen anything come out. We talked about though for a while, like making sure that staff members knew how much a CBC and a CMP and a MAG and a FOSS, knowing how much they cost just to run because maybe we didn't, I mean, I, you know, in hematology, we're the worst. You get a daily CBC, CMP, even though my EMR prompts me like, are you sure you want to order a CMP every day and not every other day? We still get, we still do it. And, and we're not actually sitting down and looking at like the cost benefit, you know, and we don't, we don't understand. I have no idea how much it costs. I assume it, I, you know, it probably costs a lot to run a CMP daily, but I don't know. <laughs> right, because we're not told that. Yet administration might come to you and say, why are you doing this all the time? It costs so much money. Well, show me that. Show mm-hmm. me those numbers so we have a knowledge of what we're doing. I know in surgery, some surgeons are very good about, you know, they, they know what, their implants cost. And so they'll do everything to not have to open a second of something or Mm -hmm. suture. They'll suture down to the last 
millimeter if they can, if they don't have to open another one. So some people do have more of a grasp on it, but I just wish we did a better job in nursing of letting us know what things cost. Yeah, that's a good point. Because so the only thing that I do have a cost sense of is when I do bone marrow biopsies. We have two kinds of kits. And because of a whole project around uh, getting one of the kits in, I know specifically that one kit costs $20 and the other kit costs $160. And the $160 kit is so much better. And I almost always use it because it is far, far superior, both for the patient experience and for the quality of samples that it produces. But like once in a blue moon, you know, let's say something falls on the floor by accident or whatever, and you have to open another tray. If it's something that I can get out of the cheap kit, I will. I'll open up and waste the $20 kit instead of opening another $160 kit. Because just purely just because I have that in my head as a piece of knowledge. And, and yes, therefore, I make decisions about that knowing that, you know, I'm making cost-effective decisions, but that's only because I just happened to be part of some discussions where I was in on the, you know, the price of the, of the kits. So if you don't know, you don't know. Right. Look at our healthcare nationwide. Patients can't even find out how much a procedure will cost from one hospital to another. And I know there's a lot of discussion around that and it's a huge undertaking, but why? Why Every patient should know what they're going to pay up front for the most part. There's always things here sure. that get added in. Sure. Yeah, I know. My neighbors and I just had a conversation about that, about just, you know, as, as like a consumer of healthcare, you know, you just, you want to be able to make financial decisions for yourself too. Right. You wouldn't go into a grocery store and just start adding things to your cart without knowing how much it's going to cost and then just fork out the bill when you get up to the register. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't know what the solution is and how to do that, but I know that um, it's something that we should all be more aware of and and push to know. If if I were a consumer, I would want to know that. Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I honestly feel you're right. I don't quite know what the answer is to some of these things because I feel like as nurses, it's easy for us to get on our soapboxes and just sort of like, I mean, have you ever been to a staff meeting that was just like a straight, most staff meetings are straight event sessions, you know, but, but I do think that if we really supported our middle management better, that there was better, better training, onboarding, orientation, and a little bit more of a financial training, whether that be in, you know, in our hospital systems, when people are, you know, being new to certain roles, or whether that's, you know, tying more of that into, the BSN and MSN programs, as opposed to, I think there's some of it in DNP. I don't have my DNP, but um, I think there's some, you know, at, at that at the doctorate level. So, you know, if we can incorporate a little bit more of that uh, lower in the chain, hopefully we could start making a little bit of impact along the way. And for anybody who's listening, who, you know, maybe you're in that role and you don't have the support, I think what's really important is to seek out the support, you know, whether that's sitting down with your boss and being like, yo, I don't feel like I have what I need or going to a mentor, you know, finding somebody who's in a similar role to you in a different team. I mean, that's really what got me through mine because I could not get enough support from um, my direct boss 
when I first started my position was to go to someone in my same position, just in a different specialty and say, hey, these are the issues that I'm dealing with and, you know, sort of get support from them. And I think that's the most important thing that you can be doing to sort of take care of yourself so that you don't burn out. And then obviously to take care of your team that you care about. I mean, everybody cares about their their nursing team, their unit, their service, whatever, you know, field you're in. You care about those people. And then ultimately, if the people are well taken care of, then the patients will be too. So where do we go from here? Do we start... Um... I think the other important piece is succession planning. When, when we know that a manager leader is getting towards where they're going to step back or step down or retire, at least a year out, I think you should be determining who is going to be a good fit to move into that role and how can we start that orientation process and take our time and bring them into that role. Absolutely. I mean, we think about our orientation process and credentialing and things like that for providers, those things take 90 days. You know, it, yes. we, we need to be putting the same level of thought. I was fortunate when I decided to step back out of my chief role and go part-time and really sort of focus in on my family and the needs that I had at home. When I did that, there was already someone on the team that I thought would be the right fit and, you know, we held interviews and that person got the job. And then we had a- almost 90 days to slowly, you know, I was able to create a binder of all the little resources I had stumbled upon along the way, you know, electronic files to be passed off, little how-tos on, you know, the HR and the payroll and all those those little things that um, you would think we'd have more training for, but there wasn't. Um, And all those just little doodads (laughs) and meetings and getting to know what what certain, who certain people are and what meetings that you need to be aware of, things like that. We had a decent amount of time. I don't know what she would say about the transition from her end, but I thought that, you know, compared to what I had gotten when I was thrown into the position, I thought that, you know, the three-month period was a a decent transition considering that this person was already on the team and knew the internal team and the, you know, clinical side of patient care and whatnot. So, but 90 days is still a long time. Um, And so you, it is important to start thinking about those things, you know, really from the get-go, right? We, We talk about discharge planning starts on day one of admission. Right. So, you know, it's the same. We should honestly be thinking the same things because you don't really ever know when, especially I think in nursing, when someone's going to choose to stay home because they had a baby or, you know, they're moving because their partner or spouse has to live in another city for their job or or maybe they did just burn out for whatever reason. Like whenever that happens, then we scramble. So we right. should be thinking succession planning all the time. So tell us what you're doing now with your coaching. Yeah. So I, as I said, I went part-time. I stepped out of the chief role. And the real trigger for that was uh, relatively personal. I I was kind of burnt out with all I had going on in my life between work and home. I had three kids under the age of two, a set of twins. One of my daughters was diagnosed with a 
really rare and complex genetic disorder. She had a lot of special needs and appointments and things like that. And it was all just way too much for me to handle. And I also knew that I wasn't being an effective mom and I wasn't being an effective leader at work. So I stepped back and took some time to sort of take care of myself. And along the way, what happened was that I started a daily journaling practice, sort of just trying to sort through, you know, some of the depression of, oh my gosh, my I have a daughter with this, you know, severe disorder and, you know, lifelong special needs and, you know, what's going on with my career and, oh my gosh, I'm drowning in motherhood and all these, these things. I had to just sort of sort through all the anxiety and the stress. And uh, along the way, I, I realized how helpful it was to have guides in that, you know, to not just like necessarily sit down to a blank piece of paper. I needed something to sort of hold me accountable to each day pause and take at least 10 minutes for myself for that journaling practice. So because there was nothing out there, and I don't know, I guess because I'm an overachiever like most nurses are, I decided I was going to make my own. <laughs> and so I I made or started the Intentional 10 podcast. And initially, it really was just like me sitting in the kids' playroom at like 4 a.m. before everybody got up in the morning with my headphones, like recording just Uh, you know, to nobody, these little 10 minute reflections that I had, and I was posting them. And over time, people started listening and and sharing that they were actually, you know, benefiting from this 10 minutes to just hit play on the podcast and listen to some sort of inspiration in their day about, you know, just staying focused and intentional. So over time, I, you know, sort of developed the podcast a little bit more, and it became, you know, this, this, passion project that I've been doing, I guess. I now do a weekly 10-minute post or 10-minute podcast episode with a 10-minute intention and started doing interviews. So on Fridays, then I release an interview and I'm just finding other people out there who are doing doing things differently and living life, you know, with intention. And so I'm featuring those people and I've started a blog on the website too, just to, in some ways it was, I started it for myself just to sort of event about all the things that I was going through. But along the way, other people had stories to feature and I would share their stories on the blog and and whatnot. So it's just sort of evolving, I guess, over time. And and so yeah, now I sort of do this as sort of my, I don't know, I guess side hustle, if you will, um, that I offer this this podcast and intention setting. And then January, I'm hosting my first month-long challenge. I I actually forgot to, to mention this to you earlier, but I'm going to make you guys a promo code. If anybody wants to join, I'll make one that says, uh, don't eat your young. And yeah, I'm going to be um, hosting my first month-long challenge. I, I do weekly challenges usually here and there just to sort of uh, help keep people to to stay focused and working on either gratitude or mindfulness. But the whole month of January, I'm going to be hosting this challenge where there's daily inspirational messages going out to your inbox. There's daily podcast episodes for everybody, weekly meditations, health and wellness tips, and mini challenges. There's going to be a big prize drawing at the end. Um, I've created a journal. I, you know, once upon a time in my nursing school days. I would have never thought that I would be spending all this time 
on Canva creating a journal as like what I do for a living. But I just I just finished building this custom design daily journal that I'm super proud of um, to go along with the podcast for everybody. So now this is what I do half the time. Half the time I'm I'm at work two days being a nurse practitioner and wearing that hat. And the other half I'm focusing on intentional living and trying to take a bit of what I learned along my journey and, and still learning each day as we go. <laughs> I'm trying to take what I've learned about slowing down and really focusing on what's important to you. I'm trying to take that and just share it with others. And I'm sure that there are other people feeling burnt out, whether you're a nurse or not, honestly, people who are feeling burnt out, um, but especially women who are feeling overwhelmed and just need a little guide to being a little bit more focused and intentional. For me, it has helped me find joy each day. It doesn't fix any of the problems of the pandemic or my daughter's condition or the chaos of having three young kids, but it does help me to just sort of work on my mindset. So I'm excited. I love, love, love it. Especially today, we do need help. We do need a mindset shift. We do need some positive energy coming in. And to take 10 minutes, everybody can find 10 minutes every day. Everybody can. And for you to guide people through that is even better. Because people like me, I need some guide to get me going until I find my groove. And then I can move on from there. So I think what you're doing is amazing. Oh, well, thank you. And you're right. It is. I kept it short and sweet at that 10 minutes because it is hard for us to to feel like we can find time. But 10 minutes is totally doable. Like I know everybody can find at least 10. And if you can't find it 10 minutes solo, the beauty of the way I did the reason I did podcasts as opposed to YouTube or anything like that. It was intentional. I did a podcast because you could hit play and you could pull up something else on your phone and keep listening. You could be in the shower with it on the shower radio. You could be in the car walking, whatever. Like, so you, you, you know, I'm, I'm, I have a whole thing about, we should work on multitasking, but if you're not there yet, you can absolutely multitask and listen to the podcast. (laughs) Now no one has an excuse. <laughs> you can clean the kitchen and listen to the podcast if you have to do absolutely, two things at one time. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, sometimes even, um, you know, for me at work, we have the way our, our campus is set up, the hospital is about an eight-minute walk from my office building, and they're all connected with, like, breezeways and stuff. And so I will often listen to, you know, a guided meditation or something like that on my phone in that eight-minute walk. So if anybody else has a hospital that's big and wide and you're walking places, you can always pop your headphones in (laughs) and listen on your walk to the cafeteria or the Starbucks or whatever. That is great advice because I've heard from several others. When you are on your break, get off your floor, get off your unit, Mm -hmm. take a walk just to move out of that space um, to come back to yourself. That one's hard to do, but you're right that it is so key to... Finding someone to, you know, take your phone or ASCOM or beeper or whatever whatever you have in these days, your halo, who knows what device you have, but to to have someone hold that for you and to truly disconnect, even just for a few minutes. Right. So where can people find you? 
Yeah. So uh, my website is intentional10.com and 10 is just spelled out T-E-N. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram at intentional10, same thing spelled out T-E-N. And there's lots of ways to connect with me there. So I've got... um, I've got a free journal available on my website. If you want to have a little starter guide, you can obviously check out the podcast on any podcast app. And uh, the challenge is going to be in January, the whole month of January. And um, you can sign up for that on my website as well. And I'll send you the details so you can stick it in your show notes for the promo code. We definitely will. Thank you so much. What tips or advice do you have for nurses today? I think that it's really important for everybody to always stay focused on their intentions. And I know this sounds kind of cliche because intentionality is like my whole thing, but we all lose sight of that. And if you're struggling in your job or even if you're struggling in your personal life, I think it's important to always come back to what is my intention? Am I, you know, am I taking care of myself? Am I taking care of my family? Am I taking care of my patients? And if you're feeling lost in whatever that is, whether you're feeling burned out or overwhelmed or you're trying to figure out if you should change jobs or whatever, if you can really take time to figure out what your intention and your goals and your values and your purpose, you can figure out what that is, then, then you can kind of figure out the rest from there. So I, I think a lot of us lose sight of that in any job or anything these days because of all of the hustle and bustle and commotion. So just taking some time for yourself to truly, you know, truly figure out your values and intentions and goals will help you with any issues that you have along the way. Uh, what amazing advice. I, I love that so much. I'm so happy you were able to come on today and I hope people can seek you out. Like we said, we'll put all of your links in the show notes so you can find Christina um, at any time and reach out to her. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much to Christina Dunbar for being here today to share her story with us. Working in middle management as a nurse, we can find it very difficult. We don't feel the support and the mentoring that we need in order to support our teams and also work within the confines of our administration at our healthcare facilities. Christina will also be launching a mindfulness month-long challenge in January. You can find the information to that in the show notes. If you're feeling burnt out, please check in with Christina. I think what she's doing is a great addition to what we need as nurses. When you have time, check out don'teatyouryoung.com. You can join our growing pool of listeners and become a member. Thank you for listening today, and please be kind to your nurses. I've made